How many givers do we have in here? Yeah, yeah. And you give more than just in church, right? Well, I have to correct something here right off the bat. That is not the truth, is it, Rick? I know the very first conversation I had with Dave, he called and he said, I know who you are. And I thought, you do? He said, yeah, I gave away 500 plus of your God Loves Me tape. Now, he didn't bring up Rick's name. And he said, and I asked for permission. Now, what, Rick, why is he blaming all this on you all of a sudden? What's with that? I don't know. Anyhow. Yeah, no, we knew about it a long time ago, and God's faithful to let us give away all the tapes now so that everybody can have them and they don't have to do that sort of thing. So uh, they don't have to pirate and blame somebody else for it. Man up. Take the responsibility, Dave. No, I'm just kidding. No, they did ask us about it a long, long, long time ago. But it's good to be able to have tapes like that that you can sew, isn't it? Yeah, and the home fellowships. Are you excited about that? Yeah, I think it's a way that we can evangelize and reach people that have not been reached, and so it's a good thing to do. So uh, even if your flesh says, I ain't the the partying type or I ain't the fellowship type or something, it's something you may want to think about doing so that you can help people to reach other people. We're not just set here on the earth to just stay at home and watch TV at night and and do what we want to do. There's a job we have to do. And so uh, Sunday morning, be there, meet people that you can home fellowship with so that you can reach out and meet other people and bring other people to the home fellowship so they can come to church. Right? Because every chair in this place, you know, you can preach just as easy with every chair full as you can with half of them empty. So, uh, and you know, there's people out there just like the one he was talking to today that is hurting and it's our job. Like he could have said, you know what? There's a home fellowship. Come meet these people. You know, I know that there's one. These people lost some people too. And maybe, you know, they might be able to help or something, you know? So, uh, uh, whatever. Or we'll talk about eating car, eating and have cars or something, you know, whatever, you know, but we're going to eat, you know that. So these guys are going to eat. So, well, are y'all ready to hear some word tonight? Well, I found out late that I was going to, well, yesterday, actually, I had a little time this time that I was going to be doing the service tonight, but I got something I think is really, really exciting. And I think you're going to be excited about it. So uh, turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews 11. It's not going where you think. <laughs> nana, nana, as she said. Nana, nana, nana. <laughs> Hebrews eleven seventeen. King James says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Let's read the Amplified. By faith, Abraham... When he was put to the test, 
while the testing of his faith was still in progress, had already brought Isaac for an offering. He who had gladly received and welcomed God's promises was ready to sacrifice his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your descendants be reckoned. For he reasoned that God was able to raise him up even from among the dead. Indeed, in the sense that Isaac was figuratively dead, potentially sacrificed, he did actually receive him back from the dead. And then the Living Bible, verse 19. He believed that if Isaac died, God would bring him back to life again. And that's just about what happened. For as far as Abraham was concerned, Isaac was doomed to death. But he came back alive again. You want to know what the title tonight is? Resurrection Power. Could you use some? What does resurrection mean? The act of raising from the dead. One who has returned to life. A raising again from decay. So I thought, what is decay? A marked loss of strength or effectiveness. Deterioration, decline. To become rotten, putrefied, break down, corrupt, decompose, go bad, to lower or become lower in quality or in character or in condition, to deteriorate or worsen or crumble or decline or degenerate or to go downhill. Has that ever happened to anybody in here? Well, I got good news for you. We have got some resurrection power available to us. And we're going to find out how to get it. You want to? Turn with me to 2 Kings. Because I don't want any of those words in my life. Decline or deterioration or petri... What is it? Putrefied. Go bad, go downhill, crumble, worsen. Do you like any of those words? No. I don't. I didn't care for any of them. Decay, decline, break down. None of those words sound good, do they? Second Kings thirteen, verse twenty. And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land. At the coming year. And it came to pass, as they were burying the man, that behold, they spied a band of men. And they cast that man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down, he touched the bones of Elisha. And he revived. And he stood up on his feet. The Living Bible says... So they hastily threw the corpse into the tomb of Elisha and fled. But as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the what? The dead man revived 
and jump to his feet. Now, if that much power is in that dead man's bones, how much power is in the live Holy Ghost Jesus living inside of you? The man was dead. Feel your neighbor, see if they're alive. Let's see what we need to do to get this power to work and revive situations in our life. You want to? Because I think there's some dead things going on in here. You can almost smell it. Can you smell it? You know, death you can smell. You ever been around somebody that really is dying and stuff? Sometimes it's decay. Any, okay, anything ever smelt bad in your refrigerator? What does it smell like? How long do you leave it there? Huh? You just leave it there and think it'll go away. It's just going to decay eventually and just you'll never smell it again. What about a dead rat? What does it smell like? Well, I just wonder in God's nose what decay in our life smells like. And death. Wonder if he likes it, and he, he just likes to sit around and let it stay there. I bet he don't. I bet he likes for it to change. So let's talk about it for just a minute. Anybody remember the sto- story of Joseph? Well, let's find out how you can stay in the decay and how you can get out of the deca- decay. Joseph had some really sweet brothers. Don't you all wish you had brothers like Joseph's brothers? In verse, let's see, we'll start in verse 31. You know the story. The brothers took him and dropped him into the pit, and they decided they wouldn't just let him die. They'd make money off of him, so they sold him. Okay? So they took him out of the pit and sold him, and then verse 31. They took Joseph's coat, and they killed a kid of goats and dipped the coat in blood, and they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This we have found... And know whether it's thy son's coat or no. And look at the next verse, verse 33. And he knew it. And he said, it is my son's coat. And look at what he added. An evil beast has devoured him. And Joseph is what? Without a doubt. Genesis 37, 26, 35. Did I not tell you where I was? Why didn't y'all tell me? Y'all just going to sit there and be quiet? Y'all know better than that. Genesis 37, 26, 35. An evil beast has devoured him. And Joseph is what? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Now, how could he be without a doubt? How could he be without a doubt? All he had was a coat with blood on it. How could his dad be without a doubt when all they did was bring him a coat and it had a little blood on it and he said, a beast is eating up my son and he's dead. Did he add to what happened? 
Did he build something up in his mind and blow it out of proportion? Did he make his own story? Keith laughs at me all the time. And I mean all the time. Because every time I see something going on, I'll say, this is what's happening over there, and I'll make up my own little story about what's going on. (laughs) And he just laughs. He says, what are you talking about? Because, you know, you see something, you know, this boy or this girl, or you see this, what are you laughing at, Carrie? You must do the same thing. Look at her. She's doing the same thing. And you just make up these stories about what's really happening. You don't have a clue what's happening, you know, but you make up stories about it. That's what he did. He made up in his own mind what happened to his son. And let's keep reading. And Jacob rent his clothes and put on sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all of his daughters rose up to comfort him. But what? He refused to be comforted. Because why? He already knew. He was convinced this is the way it was. He was without a doubt. Right? This is the way it was. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Sad, isn't it? So, so sad. Well, let's read some more. The Living Bible said their father recognized it once. Yes, he sobbed. It's my son's coat. A wild animal has eaten him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Then Israel tore his garments and put on sackcloth and mourned for his son in the deepest of mourning for many weeks. His family tried to comfort him. But it was no use. I will die in mourning for my son, he would say. Then he'd break down and cry. You know anybody like that? Make up their own ideas of we're going to lose the house, we're going to lose the car, we're going to lose our kids, we're going to lose our job. We're going to get a divorce. We're going to gain 200 pounds. We're going to lose 200 pounds. We're going to, whatever the case is, and make up all these stories in their mind about what is going to happen. They're going to sue us. We're not going to have this. We're not going to have any food. And make up stories in their mind about what's going to happen in the situation. And what, what have they got to base it on? A bloody coat? Absolutely nothing. And then they sit there and cry themselves to death. And nobody can comfort them. I'm guilty. Are you guilty? Something the way the devil works and he plants those thoughts in your mind and what do you do? And there they are. And you grab hold to them, just like they were your thoughts. And they're not. They're his thoughts. And you take them just like they're yours and put them right up in there and think on them. But let's see what really happened. Genesis 45, 24.
You know the story. I'm not going to tell the whole story. The brothers went out and they sold him and he wound up being almost king, ruler. And the brothers didn't know it was him and he didn't tell them. And I wouldn't have told them either. They was kind of mean. So he sent his brothers away, verse 24, and they departed and said to him, See that thou not fall out by the way. And they went up to Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob, their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive. He is the governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he'd carried, which he'd said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to them, uh, the spirit of Jacob, their father, was revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive, and I will go and see him before I die. The Living Bible says, in verse 26, Joseph is alive, they shouted to him, and he is ruler over the land of Egypt. But Jacob's heart was like stone, and he couldn't take it in. Now, let me point out two things in this verse. Leave it up there for just a minute. And he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now, his daddy is laying there mourning and crying and suffering over a lie. And he is eating the best of the land, living in the best of the land, wearing the best of the land, flourishing. And daddy's crying all the time. Is that just exactly what the devil wanted to happen? And all it took was one tiny deception lie of the devil. And he fell for it. And lived his life year after 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 year feeling sorry and bad about his son while his son was enjoying life. But the devil had convinced him of something that was a lie. And his son was flourishing. But during that time of believing that lie, what happened to him? What did it say in that verse? He got harder. His heart turned to stone because he believed the lie. And he got harder. And nobody could tell him the truth. He didn't even believe the truth when it was standing right in front of his face. So that's what we have to watch, all of us. Do we choose to believe the little tiny thing that the devil puts out there like a little blood on a coat? Or the truth that he's alive and he's ruler and he's doing good? That's what will stop our resurrection. 
the one that we choose to believe. The devil, the liar, or Jesus, the one that's alive and giving us the truth. Which one are we going to believe? Let's keep going. I don't know about you, but um, a lot of people I know had a lot of tests this past year. And I also know that a lot of people, including me, failed a lot of tests this past year. But we didn't really fail them. Let me explain to you why. Because the test ain't over till you say it's over. You get to say when that test is over, and you get to say if you passed it or failed it. So you want it to go on a little bit longer so that you can pass it. And you know, in school, when you were in school, they would give you like some makeup grades to where you could pull that D minus up to a B or a C or an A. Well, we may need to do a little bit of makeup work. But it's easy because it's an open book. Right? It's an easy, easy, easy test. We don't have to go backward. We can go forward. So right now, think of what the lie was that the devil told you this past year. Because it was a lie. Because if it was stealing or killing or destroying or making you feel bad or pulling you down or decay, it was a lie. And we fell for it. So get it in your mind because we're going to get rid of it before the night's over, okay? All of us. All right? 1 Samuel chapter 30 verse 1. Aren't you glad you don't have to play by the devil's rules? Yes. Man, that makes it so good. David and his mighty men reached Ziglag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziglag, and they had attacked Ziglag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both the young and the old. They'd killed none of them, but carried them off, And they went on their way. And David and his men came to Ziklag, and they found it had been destroyed by fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. And David's mighty men wept aloud and had no strength anymore. Is that what it says? Huh? Not what mine says. David's mighty men? It says... David and his mighty men. Right? It says, David and his mighty men wept aloud until they had no strength left. Can you get down? Can even the best people get down? Can even people that are like David and know the word and write the Psalms? Get down. Can the devil attack anybody? Huh? But what do you have to do? Let's keep going. 
And David's two wives had been captured, Ahinaam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Okay, that's the difference. David had, let's see, two verses to find his strength. I give you two verses to find your strength. That's what we get, two verses. You can be down for two whole verses. You got it? I mean, he cried and he wept and he got down. But he didn't stay down. He didn't go year after year after year after year after year like the other story we just heard. He did it for four and five. And then at the end of verse six, it says he found strength in the Lord. That's two verses. So we have that amount of time to find strength in the Lord. Because if you give the devil any more room, what's going to happen? He'll take it. And then what will start happening with your heart? It'll start getting hard. It'll start getting stoned. And you'll start trying to blame everybody else. Right? Okay. Then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Abimelech, and bring me the ephod. And they brought it to him. And David did what? He inquired of the Lord, shall we pursue and overtake them? And he said, pursue and and you will overtake them and rescue them. Verse 17. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day. And none of them got away. 400 young men who rode off on camels, uh, except for 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered This is the NIV. I think it says everything, all they had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. But what I want you to get is the first two words of verse 17. David fought. He didn't just lay down in the bed and pull the covers over his head and say, Oh me, oh my, I'm going to (laughs) die. Or let me die. He got up and he girded his strength in the Lord. And he went out and he fought the enemy. Until he got back Everything the enemy took from him. And he lost nothing. This battle of this past year is not over until you say it's over. You choose. 
Was there something that went down? Was there something that decayed? Was there something that lost? You lost. Who wins? Three people win in here. Who wins? I do. The devil doesn't win. We win. But do you see the difference in the two stories? One laid down and said, I will mourn until I die for my son. And he went year after year after year after year. God had mercy on him and brought his son back to him at the end of his life. But what was his life like? Sad and depressing and miserable year after year after year after year after year. But what was David's life like? He got back everything. Now, I don't know. Most men can't handle one wife, much less two, but he got back both of his. I just had to throw that in. Maybe you lost something this last year. Maybe I wrote down some things here. Maybe you lost some things in business. Think about it. I told you to get it in your mind. Maybe you've got decay in parts of your body, your organs, your female organs, your lungs, your liver, your kidneys, your ears, your eyes. You've got decay in an area of your body. Maybe you've lost ground in a relationship with kids. Maybe things didn't work out the way you thought they should. Maybe you've lost your job situation. Maybe you've lost your marriage. You think it's dead, dead, dead. Maybe you've lost money. Maybe you've lost, like some people think, their brain cells. Or maybe somebody else thinks you lost your brain cells. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe you lost, um, I don't know. Maybe you lost your hair. I don't know. Loss. Maybe you lost your metabolism. Maybe you lost your um, desire to fulfill your ministry. Loss, decay, anything that you lost, death, not life. Who does that? Who brings things, thoughts, or who brings things that steal, or who brings fear, or who brings anything that would cause those things to happen? So why do we just immediately take that bloody coat and put our story with it and swallow it. You got a pain in your belly? Oh, you've got cancer. Don't tell me you didn't think it. Because it's the first thoughts that come anymore to people. We deal with them all the time. 
You don't have to go to the doctor. We have people. I have heard people try their best to convince me that they know that they have cancer. They just can't find it. I mean, they just stood there and looked me in the face and said, I know I have it. Why would you think that? Because the devil's put a thought in your mind and you've swallowed it. Maybe you lost a business deal. Maybe it looks like it totally and completely went south and you'll never get that deal or that house or that whatever you had that you were believing for. Maybe it's dead in the water. And the devil tells you it's never going to happen. Something here says, just hang on. But you believe this. It's never going to happen. Jesus is all the while trying to tell you, just hang on. Just hang on. We have a power house, a great thing. We have something to fight the enemy with. You already saw part of it, but let's look at some more. 1 Timothy 6. You don't even have to turn there. They'll put it up on the screen for us. It's just real short. The first part of the verse I want you to get, 612. It says, fight just like David did, the good fight of faith. So we have to do what David did. We have to fight. But it's not the way you think. Hebrews 4.3 tells us to do something that would seem contrary to fighting the good fight of faith. So put up Hebrews 4.3. There you go. We that believe have entered into Rest. How do you fight and rest at the same time? How do you do that? Well, let me give you one more verse here real quickly. I got lots of them. Numbers 21, verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And much of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord. Now they spoke against Moses. Now they want him to pray for him. It's practical. Um, Pray to the Lord that he would take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set him on a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. Now let me explain the situation to you. They already done been bit. You feel like you've been bit? How do you fight?
How do you fight? What would have been the hardest thing in the world for these people to do? Sit still and look at that pole with snakes all around. They know the snakes are there. they already been bit. What is the absolute hardest thing for you to do? Now, let me ask you a question. Have you already done everything your little britches can try to do to fix it? Huh? Everything you know. You've thought, you've prayed, you've cried, you've asked mama, you've asked daddy, you've asked your friends, you've asked the preacher, you've asked the neighbor, you've asked the kids, you've asked the the doorman, you've asked the milkman. You've done everything you know to fix it. And it still ain't fixed. Matter of fact, it's got worse. Get a clue. You can't fix it. You ain't big enough. You know, when I was thinking about it this afternoon, I thought about the fighters in the ring. And I thought, you know what? You can get so beat up that you just want out of that ring. But the fight ain't over. But the Lord showed me something just in a flash. And you're going to like it. You ever seen a tag team fight? You're down on the ground. You haven't got any breath left. You can't fight. You can't do it. There's nothing left in you. That guy is beating you to a pulp. Your blood coming out everywhere. You got bones broke. Your nose is broke. Your teeth are shattered. Your ears are bleeding because he bit off the top of it. Whatever. (laughs) But you're losing. And you're losing big. And you know, ain't no use in you getting up. All that's going to happen when you get up is you're going back down on the carpet. That is absolutely it. But you know, you ever had a big brother in school and some little bully come beat you up? What happened? Big brother come along. Well, you've got a big brother. And all you need to do, if you're bloodied down on that carpet, you can't get up, you don't want to get up, you've had enough, you can't take anymore, you don't want anymore, you don't have the strength to get up, you don't have the courage to get up, you don't got to get up in that sense. You do got to touch somebody though. You got to grab hold to somebody because they won't let that fight stop till you touch him. 
You have got to reach your hand out. You can be crawling to the corner to the wrong side. You've got to get to the right side. And you've got to find your partner. And you've got to reach out your hand and do what? Grab hold of him and turn it over to him. And when you do that, what do you do? You get out of the ring. It's no longer your fight. It's nothing to you. It's no longer yours. You can't get back in there. You can't fight it anymore. Somebody else is fighting it for you. And they are winning big time. Because they're big. And they're bad. And they got power. And all you got to do is lay there and go, get them, bro. Because you can't open your eyes. You can just hear it that they're shouting for him. That's all you got to do. But you do have to do that. And that's what it's talking about. Look at 2 Corinthians 10. Verse 5. You have to fight, but you have to rest. And this is where the fight is. You have to cast down the imaginations and every high thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, of God, and bring it into captivity. Every thought to the obedience of Christ. The Message Bible says this, and I thought it was really good today. It says, we use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and what? Oh, emotion. And what? Impulse. Into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstacle and obstruction, building lives of obedience into maturity. That's what the fight is about. That's what you need Jesus for. All you have to do is once you touch him, you don't touch it again. I mean, you don't touch it again. You don't try to figure it out. You done been trying to figure it out and it ain't done no good. You give it to him and you let him figure it out. And when it comes across your mind, what did I tell you the last time? You open that mouth and you say, shut up, devil. But you got to open your mouth and say it. Shut up, devil. And don't touch it again. You let your big brother fight for you. And quit wearing yourself out. And then what do you do? You party. You skip and you hop and you play. 
Because what do you got to be sad about? Because it's taken care of. Big Brother's got it. And that is that resurrection power. Because he resurrected you when you was down, buddy. You don't have to do it anymore. You can rest, get your strength back up, and have a good time. Because Big Brother done took it over for you. You couldn't fix it anyway. I got something here. Let me ask you a question before I do this. Is it possible for something that was totally dead to come back to life again? You just saying that because you know that's the right answer. You don't really believe it. But I'm going to make you believe it. Devin, go ahead. Turn the lights down, guys. Here's the thing about North American wood frogs. They're small. Very small, but they're everywhere, just out of view, hiding on the forest floor. He's, he's camouflaged. His coloration is the same as the soil around him. You see him here? He's cold. You can find them here in southern Ohio and all the way up to the Arctic Circle. But wherever they are, once it gets cold with the first sprinkle of ice, this frog does something I didn't know was possible. As soon as the frog touches, just touches an ice crystal, this animal is going to freeze. Freeze, freeze? Freeze. Solid freeze. That touch of ice immediately sets off signals inside the frog, says Professor John Costanzo, that pulls water away from the center of its body so the frog's internal organs are now wrapped in a puddle of water that then turns to solid ice. I, I, I still can't get over it. It's really an amazing, amazing thing. There is no breathing, no kidney function. The heart stops. And there will be no heartbeat for a long period of time. You mean as in no heartbeat? Right. Nothing. Flatline. Flatline. For an hour or two? It could be for days, perhaps even weeks. Really? It sounds like it's virtually dead, no? We know that the frog isn't dead. But he's probably about as close as you can get. To being dead. Yes. <laughs> So, from the outside, this little frog feels like a rock. Except that as it froze, the frog flooded itself with a kind of sugar. The frog's blood sugar is distributed through the circulatory system. It works like an antifreeze. It's harder for the water to freeze, so cells stay just damp enough for the animal to hold itself together. Until the springtime. When the days grow a little longer, and the ground gets a little warmer. And then, well, a kind of miracle happens. After weeks or months of no heartbeat, none, suddenly, there's a pulse. And that first heartbeat leads to another, and then another, 
And then within a day, and in the case of this little frog, it took about mm, 10 hours, the animal literally comes back to life. Spontaneous resumption of function. Why? We don't know. We don't know what triggers that event. And think how elegant a business this is. Because although the sun is warming up the outside of this little guy, somehow his insides, his heart, his brain, they thaw first. His insides warm up before his outsides. But somehow it all happens in perfect synchrony every spring. You got anything that's dead? Or looks dead? Or feels dead? Did you notice a couple of things? He said, at the first sprinkle of ice, what happens? He freezes up. Is that what you have started to do? The first sprinkle of a problem in that area. Do you go? And all it takes is one drop of blood on a coat. One sprinkle. Then he says, no heartbeat at all. You got anything that looks like it's totally and completely dead? Can it be revived? Doesn't matter how dead it is, flatline is flatline. Now, he said he didn't have a clue why that would be, why that this frog could do that. I got a clue. I got a big clue. Because if God would do that for that cute little frog, he would do it for me. He would do it for me. He would do it for me. And he would do it for you. That is just an example for what he would do for you. That's all that is. But did you catch the other part? It started on the inside. The sun was warming up the outside, but it didn't start on the outside. It started on the inside. You couldn't tell any difference on the outside. But it started on the inside with what you started thinking and what you started believing and what you started yielding to and what you started feeding on. And you may still look dead on the outside. And it may still feel dead on the outside. But glory to God is right. You're coming back to life. And no more flatline and no more dead. And you're going to jump off just like that little cute frog. And you're going to get all your function back and everything is going to be right. Because God didn't do that just for that little frog. And if he can do it for that little frog, you know he can do it for you. Did he do more for a frog than for you? 
I don't think so. He did it for squirrels too. They can do it. Some of the squirrels can do it. But let's look at John 11.25. Martha is so upset. You remember the story? About her brother Lazarus. If you'd have just been here, Jesus. The New Living says, John 11.25 and 26. Jesus told her what? I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will what? Live. Live what? Even after dying. Even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. But my favorite part is the next sentence. Do you believe this? Look at your neighbor. Find out their name and call them by name. Do you believe it, Jim? Y'all believe it? Barbara Joy, you believe it? Y'all believe it? Everybody believes it? That's the most important part. Because if you don't believe it, it's not going to work for you. He is the resurrection and the life. If he can take that frog and from the inside bring him back to life and he hops off, I can hop off. You know, there's a story Keith tells about the Frog Leapers Church, you know. Something happened one night. Somebody got blessed and they were hopping around like a frog. So they started a new church. It's called the, I forget what it's called. No, no, it's called the Holiness Frog Leapers Church or something. They they start the service jumping over the pulpit. Keith can tell you about it. I forget. Maybe he'll tell us sometime. But the power that we need is not in ourselves. Could that frog do it for himself? Not a chance. Nor can you. We have to turn it over to Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. And He can resurrect anything, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what your neighbor told you, no matter what your friends told you, no matter what your boss told you, no matter what the economy told you, no matter what anybody has said or what it looks like. It is resurrectable. If it's flatlining, it can come up. Genesis 2-7. I think you already know this, but I want to remind you of it. The Lord God formed man out of dirt of the ground. Then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. If he did it once, can he breathe on you again? Is he short of breath? Is he asthmatic? 
Don't think so. If he'll do it for that little frog. What time of year is it around here? It's time to come back to life. It's time to put the devil on his running path and stir yourself up and come back to life and spring back in your step and remind yourself of the resurrection power that you touched Jesus and His power is alive and it worked in you and it starts on the inside and works its way out to the outside. And the thoughts that the devil brings you, open your mouth and tell him to shut up and leave you alone. Because he ain't big enough and you ain't lost yet. Stand up with me. Do what you have to do to set your sights on that pole and set your sights on Jesus. No matter if you've been bit or not, you can live. But you have to keep your sights right. You can't go one day and keep your sights on Jesus and the next day dwell on the problem all day long. It won't work. You have to set your sights on Jesus. You can't get back in the ring. You're not strong enough to get back in the ring. You'll get beat up again. Just stay right where you are. Stay on the outside. Keep your sights on Jesus. Let Him fight it for you. Let Him work from the inside and work the situation out. Fight the good fight of faith by keeping this mouth working right. Keeping this, what Brother Hagin used to call it, a noggin. Shut off from the stuff that's bad. Only think what you know is right. Think truth. Don't add to the story. Don't make up your own stories. Because your stories most likely are going to be negative. Unless it's something God gave you, the devil doesn't have a good story. He's going to give you the bad one. And you don't want to swallow it. You want to believe God's good story. And let that heart start thawing out on the inside. It doesn't matter how hard it was of stone. And it doesn't matter if you know somebody's heart that's been of stone. God can change it. But you've got to keep your sights. Keep it right. And let it thaw you. And the first time you see a sprinkle, don't do this. Trust God. Say, nope, devil, I'm not listening to that. I'm not getting in that fear. I'm not getting in that rut anymore. Don't freeze up. Don't harden. Because how hard was that little frog? He was like a rock. You reckon that's what we, God, we look like to God? I don't want to stink anymore. Do you want to stink? No. You want to smell like a dead rat or a piece of bad cheese or, or something, bad piece of meat in the refrigerator? I'm telling you, I wonder if we don't smell that way sometimes to God. Decaying. 
We want to be full of life and doing exactly what He's called us to do. And our heart's beating. Full pace. Oh, let's just do it for the good of it. Just do it, take one quick hop like you just got your life back. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, yeah, here we go. <laughs> yeah, it won't hurt you, chickens. It won't hurt you. It won't hurt you. Jump on the devil's head. There you go. Won't hurt you. Some of you ain't even set you free. might bring you back to life. Some of you need a little joy anyway. God is good to us. No matter what kind of mess we get ourselves in, He'll bail us out every time. He's never leaving us. He's never forsaken us. He's never letting us down. And He's not going to start today. And He's not going to start with you. All you need to do is touch Him and turn it over to him. And he'll take care of it. Y'all ready? Yes. All right, close your eyes. Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray over each and every person in this room tonight. And I just say, if there's been any decay or any loss or any problems or any uh, thing that they've not been able to get past, I just ask you now to begin to thaw out the situation, to begin to take hold with them, touch them, and tag out and lift them up, Father, to where that they can begin to mend and to begin to come out of those situations, Father, and to begin to give back everything that the devil has tried to steal from them and that they recover all. Everything, everything. In Jesus' name, we ask you for it, Father. And we agree as touching this thing that we have asked you for, Father. And we claim it back in Jesus' name. And we thank you for doing it. And thank you for your goodness to us. Amen. You guys got something you can sing?